Are you becoming more like Jesus Christ? Now that is the biggest question you can ask as you start this new year, 2021. Christiformity is the word that we're all shooting for. It's the word that this series is based off of. Christiformity, what does it mean? It means simply becoming more like Jesus. And in week one of this series, we looked at the idea of Christiformity. And we looked at the fact that Jesus and all of the apostles, in particular the apostle Paul, who wrote the words we're about to read, was all about the people of God, once they had come to Jesus through faith, that they would begin a process of Christiformity, becoming more and more like Christ every day of their lives. Uh, listen to the words of Paul again from the book of Galatians chapter 4. It says this, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you, you can hear his passion. Paul wants us to become more like Jesus. Christiformity needs to become uh, one of the great uh, focus uh, points of our lives. And the question is, is it a focal point for you? Is it for our church? Is it what we are all about? And this has become a new value point for Three Circle Church, the church that I pastor, the church that many of you are part of. Some of you are just tuning in across the world right now to check us out. If you want to know something we're all about, we're about Christiformity. We want you to come to Jesus, and then you, we want you to become more and more like Jesus every day of your life. Christoformity. Now, the word Paul used there, this Greek word for the word form, because there's a lot of different ways you can form. You can form up a house. You can form up uh, stonework. You can form up all sorts of things. But this word is unique. It's the word morphu, and it means uh, not an outside thing. It's an inside thing. It's an interior essence, life change. That's what Paul was looking for for you and for all of us who would place our trust in Christ. And now, where do you begin with that? And, and again, most of us who, who live this life, what we think is, okay, we need to go do something initially. So what are we going to do to become more like Jesus? Uh, but the, the thing we learned last week is that Christianity and Christoformity is a lot more about who you know first than the things that you do. And the question is this, how can you imitate someone that you don't know? How can you uh, copy someone, which is what Christiformity is, us imitating Jesus, how can you do that if you don't really know him? So week one was all about us getting to know him more clearly, and then when you know him, you'll love him, so loving him more dearly. And then if you know and love Jesus, he said himself that we will begin to obey him, so we follow him more nearly. Uh, so where are we going to go with this thing today? Because maybe you're thinking, okay, now's the time I go do something. I now get on a new Christiformity plan. Uh, but the next piece is still not what you do. Today, we're going to look at another important question. We asked the question last week, are you becoming more like Jesus? The question I'm going to ask you today is this, who is shaping you? Who is shaping you? Because today, the next thing we need to learn to, to uh, hurdle towards, to uh, propel our lives towards Christiformity is we need to know who we are. And if you don't know who you are, and who you are in Christ, well, that's going to cause a lot of problems. And instead of being formed into the image of Christ, you're going to be formed in all sorts of other directions. So today, we're going to answer the question. We're going to help you answer the question in your own life. Who is shaping you? Because that is the next step to Christiformity.
story about a man in the mid to early 2000s in Georgia who was beaten unconscious and left naked behind a Burger King. They found him there. And when they got him to the hospital and began to try to treat him and help him, they realized something devastating. He had complete amnesia. The man did not know who he was. He, his identity, in a sense, had been stolen from him by the people who perpetuated this incredible act of violence upon him. And the doctors tried and tried and no memories came back. And this began a long journey, years and years. This man got national attention. He was on, even on the Dr. Phil show. Uh, the FBI tried to do fingerprinting and DNA evidence and all these things to try to figure out who this guy was. And with all the national media attention and all the things that happened, no one claimed him. No one ever knew who he was. In fact, one of the nurses ended up taking him in and befriending him and tried for years and years to just help him figure out who he was. Can you imagine how that feels to not know who you are, to not know your identity? Well, that's where many uh, believers are today, unfortunately. Many of you joining us right now, you have forgotten. You have, you have gotten spiritual amnesia somehow, and you have forgotten who you are. And this will stunt your growth into Christiformity. It'll keep you from becoming more and more like Jesus if you don't know who you are. And so what we're going to find out today is that we are given this blessed thing when we come to Jesus. We're given a new identity in him. The blacksmith of heaven, God himself begins to shape us and give us a new identity. And if we don't let him do the shaping, if we don't let him do the hammering away at the metal of our lives, someone else will. And that's what you need to understand today. You are going to be shaped. The question is, who is it shaping you? Who is giving you your identity? Now, identity theft is a really big thing in our modern uh, technological and digital society that we have. New stories every day on the news about people whose identities have been stolen and used to do all sorts of things. It costs a lot of money. People use uh, different plans now like LifeLock and others to try to protect your identity. Yet many of us as Christians do not work as hard to protect our spiritual identity. And let me tell you, uh, identity theft is an even bigger deal in the spiritual realm than it is in our digital world. And the Bible lets us know that we better watch out because our enemy, Satan, we have a real enemy, and our, our enemy seeks to, to uh, devour us and to destroy us. In fact, in the New Testament, uh, the Bible tells us this, the words of the apostle Peter, he says, you need to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, roars about like a lion and he's seeking who he may devour. So we are to stand firm in our faith. And one of the things that Satan does is he tries to take our identity. Because listen, if he can get you to forget who you are in Jesus, if he can begin to, to get you to allow other things to shape you instead of Christ, then he will slow down your growth in Jesus, your Christiformity process. He'll slow it down to a crawl if you allow your identity to be shaped by anything else. So uh, for the next few moments, let's take a look so that you can be aware of his tactics. Let's take a look at the ways in which Satan will attack our identity. So 
as we take a look at the ways in which Satan attacks us, we need to be reminded that the Bible tells us that we are not to be conformed to this world. Listen to these great words in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now let's talk about it because that is a Christiformity uh, scripture right there. That's a verse right out of the Christiformity playbook. And, and how do I know that? Well, uh, first of all, it talks about formed. It talks about being conformed. And it tells you what not to do. It warns you to not be conformed to the world. And what you're going to find out is Satan uses all sorts of elements in the world to try to shape us and form us. Well, the Bible tells us here, don't do that. But it doesn't just tell you what not to do. I love that Christianity is loaded with what we should do. The positive, not just the negative. And the Bible says here that we should be transformed. How are we supposed to be transformed? By the renewing of our mind. And this is a big truth that you need to understand today. For you to solidify and to be solid in your identity in Christ, you're going to be exposed. You're going to require that your mind and your heart be exposed to truth. You need to be exposed to the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us what our identity is in Christ. We're going to look at that today together. And then it says this. It says, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's what we're moving towards. Our transformation makes us people who can not only discern, but also do the will of God. Now, who does that sound like? That's a Christiformity verse because the one, the only one who has ever done everything the Father wanted him to do perfectly uh, in every way was Jesus himself. So this verse is all about us not being formed to the world, but being formed into Christ who obeyed God perfectly loved him completely, and knew him clearly, right? He is the model for us. Jesus modeled the Christiformity life for us. So today, what things do we need to look out for as our enemy tries to get us to do what this verse warns us not to do, to be conformed to the world? Let's check that out right now. The first thing Satan will use to attack our identity in Christ is other people. Uh, Satan will use your parents, siblings, good and bad people, enemies and friends, uh, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Uh, he will use an array of teachers, coaches. The environment we're in is like a great blacksmith shop. It's like a metal workshop, and we're being shaped every day. And if we're not careful, we'll be shaped by people, sometimes with good intentions, that actually shape us in a way that God, our Creator, did not intend us to be shaped. And you have to watch out for this. Now, when you have godly parents and godly people in your life, they will speak truth over your life. But even the best parents, the best friends, the best spouses sometimes will mess up. And if you're not careful, you will listen to things that are not accurate and are not what God wants to speak over your life. I bet many of you joining us right now, wherever you are, I bet many of you have had people say things that shaped you in a negative way. Maybe you had someone that didn't believe in you, that didn't think you could amount to anything, and they said those things to you. They hurt you. We've all felt the sting and the power of other people's words and they are like hammers that hit us and shape the metal of our lives, the framework of our lives. And Satan will get in the middle of all of that. Satan will get in the middle of the humanity that surrounds all of us, and he will try to shape us. And so what I want you to be encouraged to watch out for today as Satan roars about like a lion trying to take you out, coming for your identity, trying to steal your identity away from you in Christ, I want you to watch out for what other people say. 
Sometimes even with good intentions, they will shape you negatively. And what you have to do is you have to watch out and be sure that you continually remember what God has said about you. Let's look at another way Satan will attack us, and it is this. He will use hurts, mistakes, and tragedies in our lives. He'll use the events of our lives. Sometimes you, you're so hurt that it begins to rob you of our identity. And, and I know so many people, some people that won't even go to church. In fact, some of you right now are joining us online and you have been for a long time, but you have no intention of actually being a part of a church community because you've been hurt. You've been burned by a church. And what Satan did is he got in the middle of that and he began to pull back on your identity to know that you're part of a family. It's an imperfect family. It's not always perfect. Sometimes bad things can happen, but you're still a part of the family of God. And the Bible tells you to be a part of it, an active part of the family of God. And what Satan will do is he will attack that and sooner or later you begin to forget you're even a part of a family. Also, Satan will try to shape you with your mistakes. The things you've done that you wish you could change. The things you regret can turn into things that will hold you back. It'll bring shame into your life, sorrow into your life. And if you allow your mistakes to shape you, you're not listening to God because God does not want your mistakes to shape you. And then other times, tragedies will shape us. Tragic things that happen. We lose someone we love. An accident takes place, a, a car wreck, a, a loss, a, a job that, that went away. You got fired or you didn't get the job you wanted. So many things can happen in this life and they can begin to shape us. And I want to tell you today, God does not intend for those things to shape you. He intends for all of those things to grow you and push you forward in your Christiformity journey rather than hold you back. But Satan will get in the middle of all of that and try to use those very things to destroy you and to rob you of your identity. And then lastly, Satan will try to use culture uh, to rob you of your identity. Media, social media... Uh, all these expectations that are put upon us by what you see every day. See, all of us look at other people's highlight reels on social media and we think, well, that's the way my life should look. Why am I not ripped and in shape like the guy on the magazine or the girl on the magazine? Why don't I have the big house, the perfect vacation? And what you don't realize is you're looking at everyone's highlight reel. It's not reality. Yet Satan will get in the middle of that and he will try to shake you to the core of your identity and tell you you're not good enough and that you will never measure up. He'll make you feel less than uh, purposeful and less than happy and joyful in your own skin, in your own life. Satan will get in the middle of this and try to rob you of your identity, but you can't let that happen. So how do you keep it from happening? Let me tell you how. You have to root your life. With your Christiformity journey, you're going to have to root your life, your identity, who you are, not on what you do, not on what you achieve, not on what others say about you or your culture says about you not in your mistakes and your tragedies. You must find your identity and who God says you are in Jesus Christ. And that is what Christiformity is all about. So how can we know who we are? Because that is a crucial part of the journey of Christiformity. Before you start doing a lot of stuff, you need to know God and you need to know who you are. Well, Blaise Pascal, uh, an incredible physicist, among other things, a great Christian, great theologian, he wrote these powerful words. He said this, not only do we know God through Jesus Christ, but we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We only know our life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot know the meaning of God, the meaning of ourselves, the meaning of life, or our death apart from Jesus Christ. What I want you to know today is that you're going to find who you really are only in Jesus 
And it's only when you really know who you are that you can begin to do and live the Christian life that you were meant to live. Christiformity doesn't start with what you do. It'll end up there. But it starts with knowing God and knowing who you are in Christ. Listen to these powerful words in 1 Peter. So now what we need to do is we need to go, okay, what has God said about us? Because you need to know this powerful truth. You're either going to be shaped by the world and all the things we just mentioned that Satan will use, or you're going to be shaped by what God says about you, and you're going to make that choice. Even as a Christian, I see so many believers that have accepted Jesus as their Savior, but they will not listen to him about their identity. So let me ask you this. If we started in week one with loving God more clearly and uh, loving him more dearly and uh, following him more nearly, if we, if we start there, then how can you follow someone that you love and know without believing what he says about you. Part of loving Jesus and following Jesus and knowing Jesus is trusting him and believing him when he tells you what he thinks about you and and believing him when he says that he wants to define you and give you your identity. So what does God say about us? Well, we don't have time in this one teaching, in this one segment of Christiformity to talk about all that God says about us and about who we are in Christ. But we're going to take a shot. We're going to look at a few things. And I love this verse from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Listen to what it says. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Now, within this verse is some beautiful truths. They they live in this verse about who we are in Christ. For the next few moments, we're going to take a look at some of the things this verse reminds us about when it comes to our identity in Christ, and it will propel us forward in our Christiformity journey. Let's check it out together right now. So this beautiful verse in 1 Peter says so much to us. Let's talk about a few of the things God says about us. And my hope is that this will encourage you today, remind you that it'll block out some of the false narratives that you're hearing from the enemy, the world, people around you, and that you'll believe what Jesus has said about you. And the first one is this. According to this verse, I am accepted by God. Look what it says. You are a chosen race. This means you're accepted by God. Listen to Titus 3.7. It says this. So that being justified, so you and I have been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What this means is Jesus took away our guilt. Justified means God took away our guilt. We're no longer guilty. And because we're not guilty of sin, because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, this is what the gospel teaches us, then that means we are in the family of God. We are full standing sons and daughters. We've been adopted by God. And this means we've been accepted by God. Jesus made you and I acceptable to our creator and we have been welcomed in. You need to know that piece of your identity. You, no matter what you've done, no matter what the enemy tries to say or other people, no matter how many times you've been told in your life that you're a failure, that you should be ashamed, that you have nothing to offer, all of those things, they're false narratives. If you are in Christ, then you have been accepted by God. You are in this family. But that's not all. Let's take a look at another one. 
the Bible also would teach us in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 that we are valuable to God. I am valuable to God. You are valuable to God. Look what it says here. It says you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. God says you are mine. You are valuable. What I love about this is the Bible doesn't just say that God accepts you. Like, yes, you can come in, but he values you. You mean so much to him. Yes, you. With all the failures and all the mess-ups and all the stuff you've blown it in your life, I have too. We all have. And yet, if we are in Jesus, the gospel would say to us that not only are we accepted in, we are valued. God loves us. Listen to what the Bible says in uh, Luke 12, 24. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value, and there's that word, of how much more value are you than the birds? Now listen, Jesus himself wanted you to understand how valuable you are to God. And when you come to God by faith and grace, Jesus Christ, then you are valuable to him. You're not just accepted. That's good. That's good news. But it gets even better. You are actually valued by God. You mean more to him than you can ever imagine. You're his prized possession, royal priesthood, holy nation. You belong to God now. Through Jesus Christ, the Father looks at you and says, you are mine. And nothing can change that. That's not all, though. The Bible also would teach us uh, this, and this is beautiful. You're loved by God. You are accepted. You are valued. And I am loved by God. And you are loved by God. God loves you. Listen to Jeremiah 31 and 3. It says this, The Lord appeared to him from far away and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. This means that you're not just going to be loved conditionally. When you're having a good day, God loves you. When you're having a bad day, God's love, God, God's going to love you. He's going to be faithful to you when you're not faithful to him. That is who our God is. His love is everlasting. When you come to him in Jesus, uh, you, his love for you is not based on your performance to him. It is based on what Jesus has done, and that is the truth of the gospel. And you can rest in that. You can... Take a deep breath and exhale and know that this thing's not depending on you. And, and, and oh, by the way, some might would say, well, wait a minute, Chris, that sounds like easy grace. That sounds like easy believism that I can just do whatever I want to do. But you don't understand the power of the gospel. The Bible would teach us that it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. What that means is this, the more you love him, isn't that what Jesus said, and know him, the more you will actually obey him. The problem is many of you don't obey God because you don't love him. And the reason you don't love him is because you don't know him well enough yet. You didn't know these truths of the gospel. These truths, when they get rooted in your heart, that you're accepted by God, that you're valued by God, and that you're loved by God, this will light the affection fire of your heart like a fire in a blacksmith shop where I'm standing right now. It will light you up. And you know what that fire leads to? It leads to obedience because the people of God who really know him and they really know what he has said about them, fall in love with him. We begin to want to do what he tells us to do. Why? Because we are accepted and because we are valued and because we are loved. Not only that, though, the verse we just read also teaches us that we are forgiven. I am forgiven by God. You are forgiven by God if you are in Christ Jesus. And part of your Christiformity process is going to be you believing these things about yourself because this is what God has said about you. You are completely and totally forgiven in 
Christ. This is really good news. Listen to what that verse said, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Not only are we a royal priesthood, a holy nation that we're valued, we're the possession of God now, but he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at this. We also have received mercy. Before we didn't have mercy, now we've received mercy. We have been forgiven by God. Listen to this powerful verse in Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. This means when you feel condemnation, that's coming from Satan or it's coming from the world around you, coming from your own uh, flesh, but it is not God who condemns you if you are in Christ. Now, what God will do is he will convict you, but he will not condemn you. What's the difference? Well, condemnation is meant to destroy you. It is meant to beat you down. But conviction is meant to lead you to change and repentance. That is who our God really is. So as we look at what the Bible really says about us, tells us who we are, the last thing I want you to know is not only are you loved by God, valued by God, accepted by God, forgiven by God, you are also called by God. You're useful to him. God wants to use you for his purposes, for his kingdom. This is an amazing truth. Listen to Ephesians 2.10. Again, you're either going to believe the world or believe God, and I want you to believe God. That's part of the Christiformity journey. But Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you hear that? Created in Christ Jesus, that's when you were saved. You were created by God, but then you came to faith, given new life, regenerated in Jesus at your faith. And then Christiformity begins. And you know what part of your Christiformity is, becoming more like Jesus? God uses you. He has plans for you. What this means is you have a purpose for your life. And the Bible says here that he has plans for you to do good works. This is pretty awesome. You have a purpose for your life. And maybe you woke up this morning and you didn't feel a lot of purpose. You thought, man, I don't know what I'm good for. I don't think I'm having a big impact. Let me tell you something. If you were able to get a breath into your lungs today, then there's a purpose for your life. God's not done with you. He's just getting started. And this is what God would say to you about you. And the world will tell you all kinds of things. The world will tell you you're worthless, that you haven't achieved enough, that you need to do more, do better, that you're you're not even worthy of God's love. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what the gospel says. It's not what Jesus has paid for for your life. You are loved by God, valued. You are accepted. You're forgiven and you're called. You have a purpose for your life. And and part of your Christiformity journey will be to find out what that is. And, And let me tell you, everything we've talked about today, Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus knew who he was and he could have believed what everyone else said too. Jesus instead believed what his father said to him. So why don't we take a look at the moment His father gave him his identity. It's pretty amazing. Let's check it out right now. So there was this incredible moment when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin. This is at the very beginning of his ministry. He would have been around 30 years old. And listen to what the Bible says. Matthew 3.17 says this happened. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And you know what we find in scripture? We find that Jesus believed him. Jesus trusted who he was. In fact, what you're going to find next week is that the reason Jesus was able to serve people, able to wash people's feet, able to love people, able to give his life for us is because he knew who he was. He didn't need the world to tell him who he was. He didn't need uh, the Jewish people, the religious system. He didn't need anyone to tell him who he was. His father told him who he was. He believed him. 
and he was secure and rooted in his identity in his father. So Jesus modeled all of that. Jesus knew he was valued by his father. Jesus knew he was accepted by his father. Jesus knew he had a plan for his life. Jesus would tell people that he only did what the father told him to do. He understood that he had a purpose for his life. So if Jesus did that and you and I are trying to imitate him in this Christiformity journey, the question is, do you believe what God has said about you? Do you believe who you are in Christ is the real thing, that that is who you really are, that that is your identity. See, the gospel gives us such a better picture uh, than any other system or uh, any other way of believing that we could find. In fact, the Bible, the gospel, the scriptures addresses human depravity and human dignity. I want you to understand today, this isn't us just giving you some kind of psychobabble where we're telling you, yes, you're great, you're a good person and a winner and a champion and all that. No, 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 no. This is real. The Bible does not ignore our weaknesses, our sins. In fact, if you want to know if God ignored your sin, just look at the cross. It was brutal. No, God dealt with our sin, and he continues to deal with our sin on this side of our salvation. He will convict us so that we will repent and change. But he doesn't condemn us because condemnation was taken care of in Christ on the cross. So the Bible eloquently, beautifully deals with both the dignity of every human and the depravity. It is wide open, eyes wide open, looking at the fact that I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. But it doesn't pull back from that. But it also says that in Christ you're not just a sinner anymore. And see, there's two, there's two extremes that you'll find even in theological circles. There's this type of theological approach known as worm theology. You may have heard of it, you may have not but it's this idea. It's where people go, we are nothing but dirt and dust and worms. We're horrible. We're nothing but sinners. There's nothing good about us. We're just awful, and, and, and thank goodness God loved us and died for us, but we're terrible. Okay, that is an extreme that's not the gospel. It's not what God says over you. It's just not. And then there's another extreme, and it's a prideful extreme. It's where people go, you know what, we're awesome, and look at us. We're self-made people. We can do anything. A lot of prosperity, gospel preaching goes into that, and it's just foolish. It's ridiculous because the Bible's clear we're nothing apart from Christ. The Bible is clear we have no spiritual power apart from Christ. So there is a tension there, isn't it? But it's a beautiful tension. And let me tell you, everybody thinks tension's so bad. Tension isn't bad. I mean, I like to, I love music. I like to play a little guitar. And do you know that my guitar doesn't play unless there's tension on the strings? In fact, the tension is precise. There is precision to the amount of tension you put on a guitar string. And then when you play it, it's pretty amazing. And I'll tell you what, a blacksmith that uses metal and bends metal, he knows how much pressure he can put on that metal. And let me tell you, there is a tension between our sin, our depravity, and between our dignity that God has given us, there's a tension there that we live in. All Christians, we all understand that we're weak. I know I'm weak. I know I've made mistakes and we'll make more. But simultaneously, I rest in the gospel and I know what my true identity is in Christ. God sees who he is making me. God sees what he's doing in me. And I'm thankful for that. And you can be thankful for that and not just thankful for it. Listen, you can rest in it because this is who God really says you are. See, in the gospel, in Christiformity as we live this life, our actions that we will get to talking about, your doing in the gospel comes from your being who you are. So first, we are to be who we are in Christ. And that will lead like a river flowing out of that to what we do in our actions in our lives. And so today, I'll ask you again, who is shaping 
you. Are you letting the world shape you? Or are you really listening to who God says you are? And when you listen to who God says you are, it will change your life and it will light the fire, uh, the, the blacksmith fire, shaping the metal of your life to Christiformity.